Now let's see, I think I'm, it's my fault. You good now? So people have asked me, what was this coronavirus like? And I said, well, the first three days for me uh, were like a mild cold. I thought this is going to be easy. The next four days were like a severe case of the flu where everything hurt. And then the next uh, seven days were severe weakness and fatigue. So I recommend avoiding it if you can. Um, Cindy has had a worse case than I have had, and she's a few days behind me. She's had some breathing issues and got some medicine this week that uh, has helped her, and she's greatly improved, but thank you for your prayers for her. I want to thank our church family for ministering to us during this time, for, for contacting us, praying for us, bringing us food. We are so grateful to be a part of a church family. And we're grateful for this particular church family and its ministry. I want to thank our staff uh, for helping while I was away and picking up things. We've got a great staff. I appreciate them so much. And I especially want to thank Jake uh, filling in preaching, especially one week on sort of short notice. And uh, so very grateful for our staff. And I want to say, um, I want to tell you when I started feeling better, when I sort of turned a corner. It was a week ago Wednesday night about 6.15 when people were praying for us in prayer meeting. I am grateful for prayer. I'm grateful for our prayer meeting and for those faithful prayer warriors who pray. And that, about 6.15, a week ago Wednesday night, 10 days ago, I said, I think for the first time I feel a little bit better. And I give God the glory and praise uh, for that and I'm grateful for uh, um, prayer. And we want to continue to pray for people. I know several people in our church who, and in our community who are suffering with the coronavirus. And we want to lift them up to God and pray for them and to be a, be a family to them. They uh, need your help in a time when they can't get out, can't go to the grocery store, can't do anything. So uh, thank you for ministering to them. I think we're going to have to live with this thing for a while. I think we want to be as careful as we can and do the best we can. And then some of us are still going to get it no matter what we do. So let's just uh, uh, do the best we can and love one another. Uh, well, let me share some good news. Had enough bad news. How about some good news? Uh, so uh, I want to sh- share briefly a finish line report uh, with you uh, today. Finish line for those of you who may be new, is a three-year giving campaign in our church where over the past, over three-year period from June of 2018 to May of 2021, it's been our goal to pay off our building loans and to develop a new parking in our church. So I want to share with you some of our past uh, reports. Uh, I've shared with you a report on February 29th, 2020, and we broke through the $400,000 mark. Now, this is how much we have to owe on our loans. We're trying to pay off, and by our budget giving and your extra giving, we're dropping that number down. So in February, we crashed through the $400,000 barrier, okay? Then I shared a report with you in June 1st, and we crashed through the $300,000 barrier, and we were at two ninety-eight. That was our last report. So now we're going to see... A next report, where are we now? October 1st, our latest figures. What do we have left? We've crashed through the $200,000 barrier, and we're below $200,000 now. And that's just been amazing progress this year. Yeah, listen to that. Great sound effects. Thank you. So we, uh, we just want to give glory to God and give thanks to you uh, for that we are making great progress on that. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. 
uh, don't give anything to this till you give your tithes and offerings every week as you give on the app or on our church website or in those deposit boxes as you go out the door. That's the foundation of all we do. That's the most important thing. But some people are giving a little extra, a little above that, and that extra giving is what's reflected here. And we just give praise to God of how he's allowed us to grow our church through your generosity. Thank you for letting me share that with you today. Sharing a series of sermons on Isaiah 40 through 45 about how great is our God. I just think that in these days of election stress and global pandemic and economic downturn, we just need a fresh vision that God is strong, He's great, uh, He's in control, and we would just want to celebrate the greatness of our God. Today, as we continue in Isaiah 40 through 45, I want to share with you about the activity of God, that God is active in our world doing things. I thought about entitling this sermon, God Does Stuff, because I really want you to understand that God does stuff. He is not just sitting on a cloud up there somewhere inactive. God is at work in world events, current events, politics. He's at work in churches. He's at work in your life. God is active in our world doing things. So specifically what he's doing, he works to save. God is in the saving business. He wants to rescue you. He wants to help you with your life. He wants to redeem you. He is a saving God. He wants to save you from the mess that you're in. And I want to share with you from Isaiah, a couple of chapters, two specific prophecies that Isaiah was enabled to make that show that God does stuff. Specifically, he rules the nations and he saves his people. Okay, two prophecies we're going to look at. Here's the first prophecy that show the activity of God. Number one, God will raise up a warrior king, Isaiah says, to free his people from captivity in Babylon. Here's the first prophecy prophecy of God's activity, he's going to raise up a warrior king to free his people from captivity in Babylon. And he doesn't tell the name right away. I'm going to go ahead and tell it to you at the beginning so you know who we're talking about. We're going to see it revealed a little later. His name is Cyrus. Cyrus. So let's read Isaiah 41 verse 2. Who has stirred up one from the east? The answer to this question is God. This is God's activity, and God is going to stir up, Isaiah says, one from the east. So God can stir up people. He's going to stir up one from the east, calling him in righteousness to his service. He hands nations over to him. God's going to give nations over to this warrior king, and he'll subdue kings before him, and he'll turn them to dust with his sword, to windblown chaff with his bow. So God's going to raise up this warrior king. Let's look at a map. I think we've got a map here to show you what we're talking about. So, um, <clears throat> in the brown, you see Jerusalem. That's where Isaiah lived. And God had allowed uh, the kingdom of Babylon to conquer his people and carry them off into exile. In Isaiah 1-39, through 39, Isaiah prophesies that. He prophesies that God's going to let Babylon take over, be the world superpower, and take you into exile. That's what he prophesies in Isaiah 1-39. through 39. But in 
Isaiah 40, in the verse that we just read, he prophesies, but when the 70 years has come and gone for that exile to be over, then I'm going to stir up one from the east, and he is going uh, to take over nations. So that is fulfilled in Cyrus, you see in the red, in 550 B.C., Cyrus came to power in Persia. Babylon is modern-day Iraq. Persia and Media is modern-day Iran. So these are Persians. And God allowed this Persian king, Cyrus, to take over Media and then conquer Cilicia and then come in and take over Babylon. Remember the verse said, He'll come from the east. You see how... Persia is to the east of Babylon, just what God said. This verse is fulfilled, is going to be fulfilled in the raising up of this king, who warrior king, who will conquer the Babylonians and eventually let the captive people go back to exile. So back to our text, chapter 41, verse 4. Who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, with the first of them, and with the last, I am He. Who's going to stir this guy up from the east and let him be a warrior king that conquers these nations? God is the one who does this, and He predicts His activity. Let's go on in chapter 44, and we'll see some more detail about this uh, prophecy. Chapter 44, verse 24, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer. So we're looking at some of the names of God, about how great He is, and here's one of the names. God's Redeemer. He buys back. You've been bought into sin. He wants to buy you back. He's a redeemer, a savior. I'm the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself. Verse 26, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers. So God shows you he's great because he predicts stuff in the future and then he carries it out. And that's what he's saying. Before this has ever happened, 150 years before it happened, in 700 B.C., God said through Isaiah, this is what's going to happen. And look at the next, and, and who says in verse 26, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited. Of the towns of Judah, they'll be rebuilt. So he's saying Jerusalem's going to be resettled and rebuilt. I'll restore them. Who says to the watery deep, be dry, and I will dry up your streams. What does that mean? Well, Herodias, the Jewish historian, says that when Cyrus came to march against the city of Babylon, that the Euphrates River ran under the city walls and supplied the water supply for the city, the hanging gardens and all the things of Babylon. And that Cyrus's men dug a channel, a canal, and diverted the Euphrates temporarily into a marsh so the water level dropped and they could wade into the city through that opening where the river had gone, God had said, I'll dry up your streams. And the next verse, verse 28 says, who says of Cyrus. So here he is named. Here's the first of several places in these chapters in Isaiah where God actually names this person. 150 years before he comes to power. What would you think if I predicted not the winner of this presidential election this week, but I predicted the winner of the presidential election 150 years from now? You would think that was pretty special, wouldn't you? Well, that's exactly what God does. 150 years before it happens, Isaiah says, I'm predicting the exile. More than that, I'm predicting the end of the exile, and it's going to be a guy named Cyrus. 
And God's going to say of him who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. God can use world rulers to accomplish his purpose. He can use national rulers. He can raise up people to accomplish his purposes. And he will say of Jerusalem, still in verse 28, let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundation be laid. Continuing in chapter 45, this is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of. He calls him his anointed, same word for the Messiah. This is a guy who's not even a Christian, not even a a believer in the one true God, but God can use him as his servant to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. They opened the gates of the city of Babylon after the men went in and Cyrus marched into the city. I'll go before you. I'll level the mountains. I'll break down the gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I'll give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places so that you may know that I'm the Lord. That the God of Israel who summons you by name. God can summon leaders by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. Did you know that God can use leaders who aren't believers, who don't acknowledge him? He can. Cyrus didn't acknowledge him. But God would use him to create policies that would benefit his people. And God can do that. Verse 5, I'm the Lord and there is no other apart from me. There is no God. I'll strengthen you though you have not acknowledged me. So that, verse 6, from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none beside me. I'm the Lord and there is no other. He used Cyrus not to elevate the name of Cyrus, but that his own name might be elevated above all names. Well, let me tell you the fulfillment of this prophecy. We've seen the prophecy. Now let's read Ezra 1, 1 through 3, and we'll read the fulfillment, okay? In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Now Jeremiah had said the exile would last 70 years. Isaiah had said it would be ended by Cyrus. The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. You hear that? God can move the hearts. Aren't you glad we have a God who can move the hearts of world leaders? He moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And God moved Cyrus to reverse the deportation policy of the Babylonians and to repatriate those people back to their homeland. And he allowed those Jews to go back to Israel. Do you see that we have a God who does stuff and a God who rules the nations? And so as we come to approach this election this week, Oh, we pray that God will give us a Cyrus-type leader, even if it's somebody who doesn't acknowledge him, whose policies will benefit his people. God could give us a Nebuchadnezzar, 
because he raised up a Nebuchadnezzar to judge, I pray he'll not raise up a Nebuchadnezzar to judge, but a Cyrus to benefit his people. I've just finished reading Michael Medved's book, God's Hand on America. And he tells about in American politics, each chapter tells of how he sees the providence, the hand of God guiding America in recent 20th century history. I'll tell you just one example. He tells about how in 1944, when Franklin Roosevelt was president, and we had a vice president named Henry Wallace, who had been all three terms, he could have didn't have term limits then. Three terms, Roosevelt had been president, Wallace had been vice president. But there was growing concern as he approached a fourth term in the 44 election that Wallace was a sympathizer of Russia and of communism and a supporter of Joseph Stalin, advocated us sharing atomic uh, weapons secrets with the Russians. And there was great concern about him being the next vice president in this final ticket. And, but there was a grand swell of support at the Republican convention and the guy who was going to nominate him went up the steps to do it and the, the moderator adjourned the session before he could get up the steps to nominate him. And the next day, they, Harry S. Truman was nominated in his place and became on the vice president ticket and served as vice president. Eighty days after Roosevelt was inaugurated, he died, and Truman became president. And the world would have been very different in the end of World War II and in the Cold War that followed if Wallace had been the president of the United States. That's not my word. Even Wallace finally acknowledged that. He wrote an article published in newspapers, Why I Was Wrong. When communists invaded Korea, he came to see that Stalin was not who he thought he was, was not a friend of America, supported Truman, admitted he had been wrong, and it was a good thing that he had not been elected vice president. He acknowledged that himself. And Medved says, you can see that God still does stuff. God still guides our world. And God can still raise up those who would bless us. And I just pray in these days that God will raise up leaders that will benefit us and not be for our own judgment. He can do that and we've seen that His way. And let us pray in these days to the Almighty God. Here's a second prophecy. That was the first one. Here's the second prophecy that shows the saving activity of God. God will raise up a gentle servant to free his people from captivity to sin. Doesn't tell us right away who he is. I'm going to go ahead and tell you who it is so you'll know his name is Jesus. Let's look at the prophecy of him in Isaiah 42 beginning in verse 1. Here is my servant. And so he's called a servant. There are four passages in Isaiah that prophesy this coming servant. Here's the first of them. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him and he'll bring justice to the nations. He'll not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he'll bring forth justice. So what does that mean? A bruised reed he'll not break. Or a smoldering wick he'll not snuff out. That means he's very gentle. I think of modern idiom comparing to this. You ever heard the expression, he wouldn't hurt a flea? You ever heard that? 
I think that's exactly what Isaiah is saying now. He wouldn't hurt a flea. A smoldering wick he wouldn't snuff out. A bruised reed he wouldn't break. He, he's going to be a gentle servant. But he will not, verse 4, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands or the nations will put their hope. Let me read you the fulfillment of this prophecy. If you want to look in your Bible to Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. Matthew tells of a time when the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. What would Jesus' response be to this plot on his life? Would he resist? Would he speak out? It says in verse 15, Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill, and he warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And here Matthew quotes the prophecy that we just read and says in his response to the Pharisees that he did not quarrel with them, that he did not fight back. He's fulfilling this prophecy Verse 18, here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him. He'll proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory in his name. The nations will put their hope. And this is Jesus that he was prophesying. And Jesus has fulfilled this. And Jesus came bringing justice. Listen, you have a passion for justice? You ought to follow Jesus. Because this passage reminds us Jesus will be successful in bringing justice. He will not falter till justice has come to all the earth. And he brings it in a non-violent, gentle approach. He does not not, uh, sanction that violence, but he is one who would not hurt a flea. He is the gentle servant who came to die for us and save us. How amazing. Let's go back and read a couple more verses about him in chapter 42. Let me return there. Verse 6 and 7. The Lord have called you in righteousness. I'll take hold of your hand. I'll keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people. And Jesus, when he shed his blood, became the covenant for his people. That he died in your place. And if you'll put your faith in Jesus then you'll be in a covenant relationship with God. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll be right with God. And He'll be a light for the Gentiles. That's me and you. He'll be a covenant for the Jews and a light for the Gentiles. Jesus came to show you the way to be the light for your life. Verse 7, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. That's what He wants to do in our world, in our lives, to open blind eyes, to free captives from prison, to release those who are imprisoned in sin. He can set you free today. He is that gentle servant who came to deliver us from sin. Would you put your faith and your hope in Jesus? Do you see these amazing prophecies? Do you see how they reveal to us a God who is doing things in our world? Now, your response might be, okay, God did stuff back then in Persia. He raised up Cyrus. I get that. And God did stuff in Jesus. I get that. He raised up. But he's not doing anything in my life. 
I just don't see the activity of God in my life. And I'm having a hard time right now with this pandemic and my business, having a hard time with my health. And I've prayed and I've asked God for help. And and, and you talk about a great God who does things, and I just don't see that in my life. Could I offer you two responses? Would you think about these two things that I want to share with you as we close? Number one, God may be at work in your life, but you don't recognize His activity because you're not attuned to it. God's at work, but you may not recognize His activity because you're not attuned to it. You see, when Cyrus came, not everybody said, oh, look what God is doing. They thought, here's just another king who's come. But God was doing that, and those who were attuned to Him and knew the prophecies could see that God was doing that. And so maybe God is at work in your life and you're just not attuned to His work. Would you look with eyes of faith for the activity of God in your life because He still does stuff. And the second thing that I would say to you, if if you think, well, I don't think God does anything in my life. God only at times works outwardly, but He's always at work behind the scenes. He only at times works outwardly. You see... He was getting ready all through the exile. But within a period of two years, Cyrus conquered Babylon, 539. Cyrus let the exiles go home, 538, within a period of two years. Long behind the scenes, and then boom, activity. God was saving the world. Long behind the scenes, then three years, Jesus bursts onto the scene, and He saves the world. You see it? You see the pattern? Let me read to you three more verses, and then we're done. From Isaiah 42, here's how God works. Behind the scenes, and then boom, out in the open, he compares himself, God compares himself to a pregnant woman. You didn't see that coming, did you? Here we go. For a long time I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. This is God talking. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, and I pant. And from what little I know about childbirth, haven't been there, but I've been around that. Had some kids. There's a long period where it seems like nothing's happening outside. But inside there is a great deal happening. And that happens for a long time. And then there's a short period of dramatic gasping, panting, right? That's what it says, right? Isn't that what happens with childbirth? And that's what God, that's how He works. He says, I work like a pregnant woman. I'm at work in your world. You have faith. You trust in me during that gestation period of my work because there's going to come a time when I have been quiet and held myself back, but now like a woman in childbirth, I cry, I gasp, and I pant. And let me read to you the last two verses, verse 15. Here, notice the I wills. Here's the activity of God and what He'll do. I'll lay waste the mountains and hills and drop their vegetation. I'll turn rivers into islands and drop the pools. I will, verse 16, lead the blind by ways they have not known. You need guidance. God says, I'll lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I'll guide them. Your life's unfamiliar. You don't know where you're going. God says, I'll guide you. He says, I will turn the darkness into the light before them. You're in a dark place. You trust in God. He says, I'll turn the darkness into light before you and I'll I'll make the rough places smooth. You're in some rough places. He said, I can make rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. Would you today trust that God is at work in our world and He is at work in your life 
And will you hold on during those long times when it seems nothing is happening? Will you believe there's a God behind the scenes at work? Will you look for His activity in our world and in your life? Let's pray together. Oh God, I pray there might be the pains of childbirth even here today. I pray somebody who's not a Christian would be born again spiritually into your kingdom. I pray that right now there's a person who has been who has had a, had a rough place, and they would cry out and say, God, would you make my way smooth? God, I'll put my faith in Jesus. I see this prophecy of Him. I want to have life eternal. I want to have hope. Maybe there's somebody who's a Christian who's said, I'm in an unfamiliar path, and I need your guidance. God, I see that you do things. Will you help me? We pray these kind of prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jake will be at the Welcome Center after our closing. If you'd like to talk to somebody in person or on your, the card there in front of you, put contact information. I'll call you or email you, whatever you prefer this week, and set up a time to meet with you or just talk with you on the phone. We'd love You can join our church today at the Welcome Center. You can confess your faith in Christ and make plans for baptism. Invite you to stop by there or to use that card uh, to make an appointment this week. God bless you. Thank you.